Hmm. Father God, thank you. Thank you for the way that you work. Thank you for the the people that you call to yourself, the people that will worship you in spirit and in truth, the people that are here today that know you. Thank you for everybody who is here. I pray you would watch over everybody who's not as well. Just keep them safe wherever they are. Bring them back to us that we can fellowship and rejoice in your name with them again. Um, be with me. Be with my voice. Be with my the words that you want to speak through me, Lord. Um, we're just vessels for use for you. So I pray right now that in your name, Jesus, you would use me as a vessel of honorable use. And it's in your name. Amen. All right. So my weekend was really good overall. Um, the, the wedding was beautiful. Like the friend of mine who got married was... Man, like it was his desire for the longest time to be married to somebody that he could do life with and share in ministry with. And he get, he got all of the groomsmen handkerchiefs with our initials on them, which I thought was like pretty cool. And soon I found out we all needed them. Um, I was losing it emotionally because of just like, the ups and downs of our friendship, struggling with him, coming alongside four, four years ago, three years ago, three years ago when I met him and we started to, to do life. And it was this beautiful, <laughs> I'm going to get emotional now too, this beautiful consummation of what he had waited so long for. And yet, his desire in the whole thing was not to be about him and not to be about his new wife. But he wanted it to point to something so much greater than himself. He wanted it to point to the day that Revelation 19 talks about when Jesus comes back to take his bride, the church, with him. And so I have that experience and Friday, whenever Clayton sent the message to the group about Harold, it was like, man, there's just this like weeping that went on in my life in such just like sorrow but also so much joy on the other end. And I'm still attempting to like process that. But the Lord has led me to two parts of Scripture. Psalm 90. And then, you know, if you guys were here, the first couple of times I preached, we were in Hebrews 4. And so we're also going to be back there again. Um, so I'm going to start with a, a little bit of a picture. So I want you guys to all imagine your own lives, right? Um, we've all gone through 
some kind of schooling where we look at a timeline and there's a there's a start time to most timelines and an ending right and everything in between is just like man it's just ready to be filled and so I had this thought if you fold a piece of paper you can get the ends together really really well and to where you can see on one side the start and on the other the finish but much like an accordion it opens up and there's so much more than we could ever think all that middle part is our live our lives and yet in the grand scheme of eternity it's only this much here here on earth and so with that i'm going to read psalm 90 to start us off verse 1 lord you have been our dwelling place in all generations Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood, they are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and it withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. You, you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all of our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger or your wrath according to the fear of you? And this is the, this is the main verse. So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants, and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. And again in verse 12, So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Going back to that middle, that middle time of our own timeline. We don't know how long that time is. And the psalmist sees that. It says a prayer of Moses, the man of God. So Moses knew that his days were but a breath, right? Since we started, since I started seven and a half minutes ago, everybody in here has taken multiple breaths. And yet Moses says that our life as a whole is just like one of those breaths. It comes and it goes. And in the Genesis account of our creation, God took dust and breathed life into that dust. And that's how we became man. That's how we were formed. And it says in another part, to dust we shall return. Psalm 8 
David is crying out, God, who is man? Who are we that God should even be mindful of us? And yet he is. Yet he knows each one of us. He knows the days. He knows the number of hairs on our head. And he knows our time is short. And he knows when our time will end. And what's the point of it all? The point of it all is to have our end in Jesus, right? The first couple of times we were talking about rest whenever I was preaching. And it's a physical rest, yes. It's an emotional rest. It's a peace with God, right? The way that a strained relationship doesn't have peace, we then get peace with God and can then have the peace of God, which Philippians says passes all understanding. But if we don't number our days, then we live our lives like we're going to live in this life forever. But the reality is is that we don't. And we saw a couple weeks ago what the writer of Hebrews was saying that in verse chapter 4 verse 1 therefore the promise of entering his rest still stands yet we should fear lest any of us fail to enter it and so there's this rest that remains for the people of God and we saw that they didn't enter it Israel didn't enter the promised land because of unbelief and so we only talked a little bit about verses 11 through 16, but that's where we're going to go now. And so I want you to think of the foundation that we just started to set, that our days are numbered, that we don't have forever in this life. Starting in verse 11, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And so starting in verse 12, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We just went through James too, and Randy brought out the part of James that says, if you say you're going to do this thing or do that or go and make money in this town for such and such a time, you know, with like, do we really know that? No, we don't. And so there's, there's a pride in thinking that this life lasts forever. There's a pride in thinking that I'm immortal outside of 
outside of Jesus, right? Because everybody, so I want to I talk about that for a second. So everybody in here will be somewhere for eternity, right? Eternity is not just for people who believe in Jesus. Eternity is for everyone, but how we spend that eternity is dependent on whether or not we have entered into the rest. And so, what does the Word of God do? We read the Word of God. The Word of God has been inspired by Him. He used people to write His Word that we might read it. That we might be the same way that a sword, right? Y'all have maybe seen some movies, or if not, um, this like a sword cuts things, right? The way a knife will cut through things. The words of this book are to cut through us. And it says soul and spirit. And so we don't see soul and spirit. We don't see those things. And so like, man, how can, how can something cut a soul and a spirit? Or better yet, like, then it says joint and marrow, right? Marrow, the most inner part of a bone, and to sum it up, because it could take a, like you could talk about this for a long time, but it cuts deep into the deepest parts of who we are, into the parts that we don't want anybody else to see, and the parts of us that have been so hurt and broken by our own sin, by the sin of other people, that it brings everything to light, right? If you're still in Psalm, I have a spot in Psalm 90. It says in, in verse 8, You have set our iniquities before you, and our secret sins are in the light of your presence. I heard a pastor, his name was John Piper. Um, I think Randy mentions him several, like different, at different times as well. But John Piper, when he was preaching on a certain section of this, he was talking about like, we're in this dark room, right? Imagine none of the lights were on in here. And we wouldn't really know what was around us. And all of a sudden, we like put our hand out and we pick up this really just like, and we just start to see just this like shiny, shiny thing. He called it ebony. And at one point he said ebony was a stone, but then was corrected and was told that ebony is a type of wood. I really don't know. But for the example, we'll take it as, we'll say you think you pick up a polished stone and it's so beautiful. And it's so beautiful. And then, whenever the light comes on, we see that it's just a cockroach. Right? It's like, that's exactly it. It's like, ugh, I, like, I don't want that. And that's what the Word of God is, is doing for us. Through Holy Spirit, the Word of God brings light into the darkest places of who Jimmy Higginson is. It lights up every part of me that doesn't need to be there and to be exposed by the light. It discerns the thoughts and the intentions of my heart. It tells me why I do things. Right? We were talking about anger a little bit in our men, like the time Wednesday. The Word of God through the Holy Spirit will show me why I'm angry. It will show me why I'm bitter. It will show me why I want to hold on to things like I do. 
because it says in verse 13, no creature, and not just the creature, but the things inside of the creature are hidden from his sight. Whose sight? The sight of God. God sees, he knows, and he brings to light the things that are dark. He does it through his word, through his Holy Spirit, the same way that a sword is thrust through somebody. It comes out on the other side. And so then it continues. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Adam and Eve in the garden, they were before the Lord and it said they were unashamed. There was no shame in original creation. How wonderful, right? If anybody has ever felt shame, imagine having never experienced that. Adam and Eve had that. Then they were tempted and their desires to define good and evil for themselves overtook their desire to remain with God, to remain in relationship with Him. And so then it says they heard God walking through the garden and they ran and hid because they saw that they were naked and for the first time they were ashamed because they saw who they were now before a holy God. And so what does God say? God says, where have you guys gone? Already knowing where they were. But they said, oh, we hid because we recognized that we were naked before you. We, needed, we, we weren't clothed. And what does God say? God doesn't say, oh, you did this. Oh, you did that. He said, who told you you were naked? That's kind of, that's kind of an odd question, right? Because God already knew everything that had happened. And yet he asked the question, who told you you were naked? That realization came whenever their sin, the darkness, was exposed by the light of God's presence. And it says, to him who we, whom we must give account. Right? Does anybody not know what an account is? If not, I'm going to kind of explain it. An account is a story. An account is when you watch the news, a person who saw a crime happen or saw an accident happen, they give their account. They give their side of the story, right? One day before God, we will each one give an account and we will answer the question that the writer of Hebrews is bringing up. Were we faithful or did we persist in unbelief? Not only will the Word of God expose all the darkness, right? My anger, my bitterness, my jealousy, my lust for, and like all these things. You can just name it. But the writer's talking about unbelief primarily. When the Lord leads me into something, will I not believe Him? Will I not trust Him? Will I give my life away to the things that don't bring the glory to the Lord? Or will I allow the Word to do what it is supposed to do and expose the areas of my heart that I don't believe God for His promises? Whenever I moved to Knoxville, 
or whenever, no, whenever God first revealed to me, hey, you're going to go to Knoxville. He gave me the option of staying in Morgantown or coming to Knoxville. But I believe that if I had stayed in Morgantown, that would have been me not trusting God for what he said he would provide. Right? He didn't tell me Knoxville was going to be easy. He didn't tell me Knoxville was going to be comfortable. And he didn't tell me Knoxville was going to be what I thought it was going to be. But he told me he would be with me. He told me his presence would go before me. And it would stay with me. Right? So, then, going down into verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Everything that the writer had said up to that point, boom, right here. Because he's writing in chapter 3 how Jesus is better than Moses. Right? The Pharisees at one point say, oh no, we follow Moses. And we follow Moses' law that he was given by God. And Jesus comes in and says, well, I'm like, surely today in your presence, this has been fulfilled, right? Like, I came to fulfill the law and prophets, not abolish them. And so Jesus is better than Moses as our high priest, right? And to understand this, we have to understand how God set up the original intention for a high priest. And a high priest was a, a man of God from the tribe of Levi, who would make a yearly sacrifice for the people. It would be an unblemished lamb that the sins of the people would be placed on. It would be killed, put on the altar, and the Lord would take that sacrifice. But it was only to point to the future time when that was no longer going to be needed. The writer of Hebrews also says that the blood of bulls and the blood of lambs was never enough. It had to take somebody like me. It had to take somebody who had the full nature of man, yet who could, who could have the capacity to be tempted in every way that I was, and yet remain without sin. So he also had to be fully God. The person of Jesus Christ is that person, is that Son of Man, the Son of God, came together 100% and 100% of both. He passed through the heavens, but then also entered into our death for us through the cross. Right? It's amazing timing that we're doing, that we're going to take the Lord's Supper tonight. We're going to receive the Lord's Supper, excuse me. Because that's what, like, this is part of the remembrance, right? Jesus' death on the cross was a way that he, and this isn't mine, but I really like the way that this is worded. 
he used the, he used the cross to enter into the battle of death, enter into the battle of sin for us to only rise victorious over it all. So not only is he the suffering servant, but he is the Jesus the victor, Jesus the king. Jesus, the one who has gone before us, who now is seated, it says, at the right hand of the Father, doing what a high priest does. But he doesn't have to do it every day because it says one sacrifice from Jesus was enough. It was enough. That's why Jesus says it is finished. Jesus completed it. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. If I haven't ever experienced what it's like to not eat, it's harder for me to understand somebody who's coming from a place who, who, has, who hasn't eaten. If I haven't like, gone through and been tempted by the desire for a lot of money, then I, it's harder for me to understand where that person is maybe coming from. But Jesus, think about Jesus' ministry and his life. How often or how easy it could have been to desire comfort, right? It says the Son of Man doesn't have a place to lay his head, right? How easy it could have been to been like been tempted and gone into that of like, no, I want my own comfort. In the garden, Jesus sweat blood. How easy it could have been for Jesus to lust after women. Women who would have been following him and seen the things that Jesus is doing and just continued to flock to him or taken advantage of them. But no, that wasn't that wasn't him. He had no sin in it. The temptation was still there though, because temptation doesn't isn't sin. The temptation comes from the desires that are that are in us that get twisted by the by the enemy. So under the power of God, under the the reign and dominion of Holy Spirit and being God himself, Jesus, those desires were all in check. And so he had the temptation, but he never sinned in it. How amazing to think that Jesus, whose life was ministry and whose ministry was his own life, rested. He didn't spend every day working, which is really hard for, for me to, to get on board with because so often I think that I have to be doing something. But no, like Jesus knows what that's like. And he, he chose what the Father had outlined and what the Father had planned and what the Father's will was. He chose the Father's heart over the heart of what any flesh could have told him was better. And that's who we have sitting next to God right now. A high priest who knows about everything we've gone through. Every hurt. Every fear. Every time we have felt unloved. Every worry. That's who we have to go to as believers. Right? That's who we have. And so it says, 
Let us then with confidence draw near to that throne. The throne of what? Grace. The throne that I could never get to on my own, but is just, it's sitting there waiting for me to come to it, for you to come to it, for believers to come to it, for unbelievers to come to it, for us to find our help when we are on the brink of not believing God for His promises. We can walk up to the throne of grace and be, as James talks about, we can be humble before God and say, God, I, and cry out like the Father did in Mark, I don't believe, or I do believe, help my unbelief. Like we cry out to Jesus like that. That's what it means. That's what this writer is talking about. Everything that's going on with Israel before, like that happened. But where are we right now? Where were the people who are reading this? Where is Lonsdale Community Church? Where are the people? Where are you personally in this? Do I believe that God will save my life? Or am I trying to save it on my own? Because this promise, this is a promise in verse 16. If you, like, if you say, we, we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's a promise. That's a promise that we can claim over our lives as believers. That yes, it won't look like, oh man, I might go who knows how long without whatever I think that I need. But if I truly trust God, I will have everything I need. And one day, right, this is full circle now. One day, when we are before Jesus, it will be the wedding day. Turn to Revelation 19. Starting in verse 6, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride, the church, has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The day is coming when Jesus and his bride, the church, will no longer be physically separated from one another. And so the question remains the same question that Jesus asked his disciples. Who do you say that I am? And the Word of God, according to Hebrews, helps us figure out where we are in that. Because the writer also says that 
The Lord wants us to have assurance of where of where we of where our standing is with Him. But the process of our life, that middle part, is about pre- being prepared for our bridegroom. Being prepared for Jesus. And in my current state, or I would be there already, in my current state, I'm not ready. But one day we all will be. And so I want to encourage you all to be in Scripture daily. Not as just an act of, oh, I need to do this. But as a way for the Lord to continue the work that He has already started. And the invitation to the wedding is still there. It's still extended. The door is still open. But it won't be forever. So, let me pray. And then we'll do the Lord's Supper. Father, thank you so much for... who you are and the reality that we are in yours in Je- we are yours in Jesus I pray lord that if anybody is not has not said yes to Jesus has not decided to give their life to you that they would father I thank you so much for the life of this church as a whole and, and the individuals that make it up, the, the people who act as all parts of the body. Lord, I pray that you would, by your spirit, through your word and through one another, expose the parts of our hearts that need exposed. That you would pierce our soul and spirit. That you would pierce the physicalness of our joint and marrow and bring us into your presence And changing us and shaping us and forming us and molding us. I thank you, Lord, that you say that you started the work and that you'll finish it. So I pray for a supernatural Holy Spirit filled, not works like I'm trying to earn it, but an effort to say, yeah, like I value this. That it's worth it for me to do the things that you call me to do. And Lord, we trust you in all of it. I pray that you would help our unbelief wherever our unbelief is. Thank you for the opportunity to, to come before you now and um, as, a, as a church, as a community. Um, I thank you for Jesus and your life and your sacrifice. I thank you for the comforter and the down payment of Holy Spirit's filling of us. And I pray, Lord, that we would continue to walk forward with you, knowing that knowing that you have us, knowing that we are yours, and knowing that one day we will see you and our hope our hope will not disappoint. Jesus, we love you. Jesus and your son. Amen.